Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Uh, I am super stoked to have uh, on the cast today what I think is going to be a new friend for our community. Um, He hails from Queens, New York City, the pastor of New Life Fellowship Church, and uh, a a book of his he released now over a year ago. I'm late to the game, uh, but I picked it up, and I thought... um, this guy is, we, we need his voice at our table. Uh, and so through a series of emails and his assistant, he was grateful, or I'm grateful that he had said that he'll come on. And uh, let me just say before we get going here, um, studying his work and uh, watching him and listening to him over these last few months, that this is a man that has um, cultivated a life of nearness to the divine. Uh, he leads with a beautiful spirit of humility uh, a teacher's heart, and I am super excited to put on my beginner's mind and just listen to what he's got to tell me today uh, and share with our community. So with that being said, Rich Veladas is joining us, and uh, Rich, thanks so much for coming on, ma'am. Ashton, thank you so much for the kind invitation. Uh, yeah, good to be among you and, and your people here. Absolutely, man. So um, I gave a little brief bio of from where you hail from, but I always think it's good to kind of give a little bit of context of to you know where you are the work you're doing in the world so when when you introduce yourself um, and that work in the world where do you begin I usually begin often by referencing who I'm the, the son of I'm, I'm the son of uh, Richard and Nicolasa Velotis um, who uh, of Puerto Rican descent uh, born and raised in Brooklyn New York um, have the great joy of being married to my wife, Rosie, for 15 years and the father of uh, Karis and Nathan, and, uh, and also happened to be a pastor at New Life Fellowship Church, a church that was started by a guy named Pete Scazzaro in 1987. And uh, I've been here for the past 13 years and the lead pastor for the past uh, eight years uh, here in Queens. But yeah, Brooklyn born, but live in Queens. So I identify as a Brooklynite. And that's in New York City. That's a big thing, these boroughs here to uh, make sure you identify correctly. So right. I, I'm, a, I'm Brooklyn born, but I have come to really love Queens. Beautiful, beautiful. Very diverse community. Uh, just my, my bird's eye view study of kind of who you're leading there. Talk to me oh, about, yeah. you know, the, the, this community that you've been entrusted. Um, multi, like multi everything <laughs> multi, multi, it's it, yeah it's a beautiful place it, it's we we our church is in an area where national geographic called uh, the most diverse zip code in the world wow uh so we have 123 languages spoken in the neighborhood 75 nations represented in our congregation uh 50 of queens is foreign born hmm. so there's this uh, an immigrant feel to it as well first second third generation immigrant feel to it as well and then in our context it's incredibly diverse socioeconomically. Where we are in Queens and Central Queens is probably the poorest area of Central Queens. And just to give you the scope of what Queens is, Queens is 2.2 million people. Wow. So a lot of people just in Queens, uh, if Queens was taken as an independent city, it'd probably be the fourth largest city in the country uh, in terms of just population. Uh, but an incredibly diverse community, an incredibly beautiful community, and an incredibly difficult community to pastor because of the differences in perspectives, whether that be theological, uh, political, 
across the board, something that we've had to experience uh, very profoundly, especially in the past few years. Hmm. Now, I know I run the the risk of uh, when you ask a bad question, you're going to get a bad answer. Uh, so if this is a bad question, forgive me. Um, but all of this diversity, um, socioeconomics, uh, race, uh, ethnicity, you, you name it, um, what have you found is true across the board? What, what have you found uh, mm-hmm. uh, that... Um, without fail, all of us are longing for, interested in, curious about. At the end of the day, I've learned that no matter where people are from, um, everyone is longing to know and be known. Uh, Everyone is longing for deep connection, to be welcomed and received. And what I have discovered in the process as well, being in a diverse community like this, is that virtually everyone, uh, of course, there's some exceptions, um, has difficulty uh, navigating and negotiating our differences. Mm. Uh, And uh, that's across the board. Uh, And so being in a community like ours, this is not just a problem for a certain group of people. Uh, this is for everyone. And so what we're seeing in our country and in our world as a whole is this inability to navigate and negotiate our differences. Uh, in a, I, I see that in a kind of microcosm kind of way every single week, mm. especially when there are some issues in our nation that come to the surface. So everyone's longing for connection, bonding, longing for love, and we have trouble negotiating our differences. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so as a pastor, I- I'm sure daily you are asking questions of, of, of ha- you know, what's the, what word words would you use? What verbiage would you say as you approach that challenge of navigating differences? Uh, making room, allowing, uh, hold my hand on that. Yeah, for me, um, I think it comes down to having the emotional capacity Capacity. to be present. Um, And so do we have the emotional capacity to be present um, to one another? Uh, That's probably the starting point for me uh, in starting to navigate through the complexity of diversity and uh, polarization and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah, Capacity for presence. Yeah. That's a good word. Um, well, let's get into this. So a year ago, you released uh, The Deeply Formed Life. My apologies, I wasn't there week one when it came <laughs> out. Uh, but but maybe when the, uh, what is it, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what we're dealing with. Um, I love this work. Uh, I, I think it's, it's so needed and necessary right now, even just riffing off of this idea of increasing our capacity right? Mm-hmm. Um, for presence. Talk to me about um, The Deeply Formed Life. Why, why that book and why now? Why, why, of, of all the books you could write, why that book? Yeah, the, the Deeply Formed Life really comes out of this image from Paul in the book of Galatians where he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. At the end of the day, what I'm trying to put forth is a rearticulation 
uh, for our generation about Christ being formed in us. Mm. That's the core of what I'm trying to do. Now, um, what I uh, uh, what I attempted to do is not just Christ formed in us in some uh, ambiguous kind of a way, but specifically as it relates to large problems, challenges, tensions in our culture um, related to the pace of life, related to racial uh, injustice, divisions, inequities, related to our lack of uh, awareness, related to the disconnection between our soul and our bodies, related to the injustice that we find in the world. Um, But I wrote it because I'm a pastor and these values that I write about are the values of our congregation and have been the values of our congregation. Uh, And so the way I like to explain it is when Eugene Peterson wrote the message or translated the message, uh, that, that paraphrase of it, it started for him because he wanted to serve his congregation. Mm -hmm. He wanted, they, they were doing a Bible study in the book of Galatians and he realized my people don't really understand Paul and the language he's using. Let me translate it for them and accessible terminology. And then one thing led to the next. And next, you know, he, you know, he did the entire Bible for me. That's how this book was written. It started, I got so many questions on a given Sunday or in a given week, long emails. What do you mean when you say this? What do you mean when you say that? And so I thought I'm writing a book anyway in these email responses. I might as well uh, formalize this thing and have it serve our congregants, our leaders, our emerging leaders. Um, and then if it could serve people outside of our context, um, how wonderful would that be as well? So, I mean, I wrote it because these are the five values of our church. I wanted to give accessible language to the people that I have the privilege of pastoring and serving. And then, um, and one, Ashton, in one way that I think I, I like to explain it as what I'm trying to do is offer a ambitious reframing of spiritual formation for our generation mm-hmm. and emerging generations, which feels to me a bit over the top to say it that way. Um, but, uh, nevertheless, I believe it. Um, I'm trying to hold together things related topics and categories that are often segmented and siloed and saying, no, all of this belongs in our formation before Christ. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And kudos to you for focusing on the ground under your feet and not necessarily Mm -hmm. what does the world need to hear? Right. It's, it's, what is this community I've been entrusted and and if it helps the rest of the world beautiful. Um, I think that's a lesson, uh, as an Enneagram three, that's a lesson I could use. Um, so, uh, with, with a four wing, okay, I got to get into some metaphor here. So you open the book, um, and we're talking about going below the deck. We're talking about icebergs. So I'm going to, we may spend our whole time today just chatting in the land of metaphor. Um, and, uh, so, you know, this is, um, uh, uh, standard, uh, Father Richard Rohr, you know, happiness is an inside job. Um, I want to talk about uh, the sentence that stood out to me the most in this book. That's, we are not transformed from the outside in. We're transformed from the inside out. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you share about uh, the, the Titanic going, going below the deck. Um, and then you also share about... Um, the metaphor and really the logo that you guys use in your congregation mm-hmm. of, of the iceberg. Let's walk down both of those roads. 
Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me about in a world that is powered by likes, retweets, at mentions, um, you hitting the reset, the soul reset on saying, uh, there's a lot that can be seen out there, but it, but it all starts here on the inside when we talk about the deeply formed life. Yeah, the deeply formed life in many ways is trying to invite the reader um, to uh, look beneath the surface in such a way, not for the sake of our own navel gazing, our own self-actualization, our own self-awareness. Number one, for union with God and love for neighbor. That's really the thrust of it. Um, A lot of people uh, from time to time give me uh, in my church and outside of it, a hard time feeling, uh, saying, you know, all this looking within can feel just like uh, you're just taking the therapist's office and bringing it into church. Hmm. And part of me is saying, yeah, probably, that's probably right. I'm probably doing some of that. Uh, but, at, but the goal for it is not just growing in self-awareness. The goal is union with God. And so if I believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within me and that God wants to speak, it's often the case that I'm looking externally for the sources of God's word. And of course, God speaks through scripture and preaching and worship and community and and all of that there. But there are points within us and places within us that God longs to speak as well. And I think the that iceberg image is the image of is the logo of our church. And we moved, we changed the logo a few years ago because that is the controlling metaphor for us in my preaching, in diagnosing what's happening in the world. How do we think beneath the surface? Politically, how do we think beneath the surface racially? How do we think beneath the surface in terms of our sexuality and, and everything else? Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, it's it is trying to move beyond what classic um, measures of transformation mm-hmm. within the church, which, as I try to articulate, it's often done in right thinking, right experiences, and right action. And it, those things alone, which we often believe is enough for transformation. And the evangelical tradition is often right thinking. Have you, do you have the right doctrine? Is your doctrine orthodox? As if believing certain things about Jesus or about the Bible or about anything else is sufficient to transform our lives. It's not. Uh, we often think right experiences. I come from a Pentecostal charismatic background as well. And if we just had the right experience, this will solve everything. Well, I, have, I know a lot of people who have good experiences and they're still jerks. They're just, they, they, they're just a jerk with a good experience. Uh, and God touched them for a moment and they li- they're living with that there. Or it's right action, uh, justice, missionally engaged in the world, all the things that I love uh, and I preach about and write about. But if we're expecting that to be the end all be all, we are gonna miss out significant points for transformation. And, and, lo- and much of that is found in our ability to cultivate interiority. How am I looking beneath the surface of my own life? Therefore, looking beneath the surface of addressing some of the larger cultural issues before me. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, which I guess is the, is the doorway to the next metaphor of uh, the root system. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I loved uh, what you kind of had to share about leaving Queens, where you got skyscrapers ending up in, in, the, in the land of tree skyscrapers. And then understanding that it's it's actually the root system under there, it's the mm. unseen, right? Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen. It's the unseen mm. world. Um, 
talk to me about our root system as humans and and how that metaphor you have you have taken to your community and shared you know as we navigate this interior life yeah that root system it was so beautiful being in san francisco and seeing these redwood trees for the first time and just enamored and overwhelmed by the beauty and the majesty of it and then come to find out that what makes them soar into the sky is they are part of this root system in which their roots get connected to other roots uh, that create this incredible foundation. And I remember hearing that as I was at this uh, uh, camp in uh, San Francisco, and I thought, I think that's, that's the metaphor. That's the image about the spiritual life that we need. And what, what that image helped me to see is, I want to resist in as much as possible what I call formational compartmentalization. And formational compartmentalization is this idea that there are certain things that I could say yes to, but other things that are um, optional. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, no, no, we need all of it to bear witness to Jesus and to be bear witness faithfully to the kingdom of God. And so that root system is really about how do I hold together aspects of faith discipleship formation that are often siloed and segmented, which is why I, you know, capture contemplative rhythms and right next to it is racial justice and reconciliation. And then I'm talking about interior examination and sexual wholeness. These are things that are usually seen in many different books. What I was trying to do is say, no, we need a root system because these are five of the most important areas of our day that we need to hold together that it's not optional, it's core to what it means to bear witness to Jesus and to follow in the way of his kingdom. Yeah, yeah. well said. Um, and I don't want to give away the whole book here because we could run the risk of doing that. Um, but it, it, these these five, um, almost like, I love how you like cast vision in mm. each five of these and then offer practice, right? It's like, mm. hey, here's what we're talking about. Here's how you sow the seeds, right? Here, here's how formation happens. Maybe, maybe we do begin in contemplative rhythm um, just because who's not exhausted, overworked, overwhelmed? Um, right. uh, and you're quoting you know, one of our village elders in there, Parker J. Palmer, uh, about burnout. Um, you're in Queens, uh, mm-hmm. the, the most diverse zip code uh, in America, National Geographic says, how do you present uh, a life that's not full speed ahead, RPMs through the roof, shotgunning Red Bulls, constant <laughs> YouTube, uh, all that? Um, how does that look in your world? Yeah, you know, I live in the city that never sleeps. Right. And <laughs> right now... I, I, I don't think you can hear it, but I mean, they've been drilling nonstop outside, you know, doing some construction. That's just like a normal New York City day. Background background noise here. So you're right. It is a very um, challenging environment. Um, uh, I, all of the things that you mentioned are not things that I come naturally or do very easily. These are things that I have to fight for. Um, and but I'm, what I'm convinced of is being part of a community that's so diverse and international. And in my travels, I've discovered that this is not just a New York City problem. Uh, This is a problem across the world in which increasing distraction, 
uh, pace of life is out of control, uh, going beyond our limits, taking on way too much. Uh, this is not just a problem in Queens or in New York, this is across the board. And so part of the way of, of trying to resist being formed into the image of New York City is number one, I think, trying to establish a, a theological claim, a theological truth that my life was meant uh, to be lived in union with God. Mm -hmm. And to really live in union with God requires a radical alteration of my pace, of my priorities. Um, that's the theological starting point. In the book I mentioned, you know, I, I saw N.T. Wright uh, say something along the lines of that in order to catch up to God, we need to slow down our lives. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God. I need to catch up to God. How do I do that? By slowing down, by going at God's pace. Uh, three miles an hour. Three miles an hour. That's what Kazuki uh, Koyama wrote in his book, Three Mile an Hour God. Uh, so that's the theological principle. My life was meant for union. And in order to really have a deep sense of communion with God, it requires me to adjust the rhythms of my life, which is not done easily, um, but I cannot imagine not having the rhythms that I've had, especially over the past 13 to 14 years. What have you learned about sustainability and union? I, uh, when I had my aha, that was 2012 now, almost 10 years ago, um, it, it, took, it took a burnout to get that like, hey, this is not sustainable. And yet now I'm learning, oh, when, when I'm feeling that, that frantic state, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's, a, there's a red flag that we are not in union at the moment. And it's not that God is not available. It's that Ashton has not been available. Um, yeah. Would you say that union and sustainability kind of are hand in hand, that they, not that they're the same, they dang sure harmonize. Oh yeah. Yeah. And to uh, just expound a bit on what you just said, I, I often know when union is being compromised in a couple of ways. Number one, um, I feel it in my body, which is why I just, I think that spirituality uh, is embodied. We're, we're not just focusing on our beliefs and our thinking We're we're, we're incorporating our body into our life with God because our body speaks loudly. We, we say at New Life that the body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. The body speaks very, <laughs> God is good. shouting to us through our body. And so what I have discovered is whenever I experience shortness of breath, whenever I experience twitching in my eye, whenever there's just something off with my body, it's often a reflection of a particular pace that I'm living or if it's not just the pace that I'm living, it is my lack of attention to my inner space. And so it's either outer pace or inner space uh, that is being compromised in some way that is now impacting union with God. And by union with God, I just mean uh, this intentional attentiveness to God's presence uh, expressed in prayer, expressed in stillness, expressed in just love for neighbor. For me, that's that's union with God. Mm -hmm. um, but paying attention to my body and my rhythms. And of course, whenever my wife or children uh, uh, make some observations about what it's like to live with me, uh, seeing that as a word from God as well, uh, because my union with, 
I can't have union with God and not have union with my neighbor. Mm. Um, that's a different kind of Christianity, uh, especially my first neighbors being my wife and my two children. <laughs> um, give me those words again. Did I, did I hear them right? Outer pace and interior space. Was that right? Yeah. Outer pace and inner space. Out, yeah. Outer that's, pace and inner space. Yeah, yeah. That's the contemplative life for me, uh, paying attention to those two areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Which I guess kind of riffs into your 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 third point of the book of being interior examination, you know, for mm-hmm. a world that lives on the surface. Um, how has this kind of unfolded in your community? Of um, you know, we are digital worlds, right? Digital personalities. This this the, the illusion mm-hmm. <laughs> that we all have out there. Um, talk to me about interior examination. Yeah, interior examination, uh, I'm so grateful to have a mentor and predecessor in our founding pastor and Pete Scazzaro, who pioneered a lot of this language theologically and formationally in, in church spaces. Uh, you know, the, it's the idea that it's very easy to use God to run from myself uh, and to get so involved in things pertaining to God that it just becomes another um, sometimes conscious or many times unconscious way of avoiding what's ap- actually happening beneath the surface of my own soul. And so in the name of God, I'm avoiding um, uh, anger. In the name of God, I'm avoiding sadness and anxiety and not seeking to uh, bring that to the surface, to discern what God is saying in that and to lift it up to God uh, in prayer. And so interior examination is a way of living integrated. Uh, it's, 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 it's this rejection of interior compartmentalization. It is an invitation to a whole life. This is, it's interior examination, I think is most fully, at least for me, it's depicted in two places, in the Psalms and in Jesus. Uh, in, the, in the 150 Psalms, what we find is just a range of human emotion. We find an integrated person who is fully conversant and fluent in language of the soul, uh, longings, uh, frustrations, uh, anxieties, anger, fear. Uh, what we I love the Psalms because um, it teaches us how to be human, mm. and then the and then the true human comes in Jesus Christ and demonstrates to us what it's like to be human as well. But that's the essence of interior examination. Am I going to live a whole life or am I going to live a compartmentalized, segmented, fragmented life? Um, interior examination is a way towards that wholeness by paying attention to areas that are often overlooked in mm. the name of God. Yeah, well said. And you began, you began this, this point um, by saying we can even be in the pursuit of something good mm-hmm. while running away from ourselves. That, oh, yeah. That, 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 that um, overcommitting, right? Mm-hmm. In the name of doing it for whoever, uh, yep. there's even that risk. Um, Absolutely. Of not looking inside. Yeah, it's, it's this idea of our, our doing is flowing from our being. Mm-hmm. And um, that we are... Uh, Robert Mulholland said it this way, uh, professor at the late professor at Asbury Seminary, 
that there's two ways of being in the world. One is being in the world for God and the other is being in God for the world. And there's a huge distinction there that I can be in the world for God without God and without paying attention to what's happening inside of me. I'm just doing good stuff hmm. or, and paying attention to the issues that I think God cares most about. Uh, or I could be in God, uh, a place of union, communion, uh, interiority, um, and not just communion with God, but also communion with my own self uh, and paying attention to my own interior world for the sake of the people around me. Um, that's the kind of life I mm. want to live, which is integrated. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, signpost for being in union. Um, mm. I've been in looking through some of my reflections as of late in journals. I'm, I'm like consistently writing words like lighter and brighter spacious uh, yeah. uh for for maybe some of our listeners that are like these two what on earth are, are, are <laughs> uh give me some signpost to um like what's that feel like at the soul level I, I mean, let me work backwards. So I, how I would answer that first is the, the number one signpost of union with God is love. Uh, that's the number one signpost. Uh, and working my way out of that, if that's the signpost that I start with, uh, love for God, love for neighbor, um, uh, there is peace. A light, there's a lightness to me. Um, I am no, I know I'm in union with God when I am not trying, I'm not carrying stuff that doesn't fit me mm. um, because I'm trying to make a name for myself or I'm trying to prove my, that I, that I'm good and that I belong here. Uh, there's just, um, there's a lightness. Um, you, union with God. What another signpost is that there's this, there's this holy unawareness of my own performance hmm. of Dietrich Bon. First of all, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And Bonhoeffer takes that in his book on, I believe it was on ethics. And he talks about this, this sense of this holy unawareness that I'm not paying it. I'm, I'm, I'm unaware of my own righteousness. That's when I know I'm in union with God. I'm no longer paying attention to, am I doing it right? Am I growing? Am I a better person? No scorecard. The scorecard. There's no scorecard. There's no. It, it, that's right. It's not that there's a new school scorecard. There's no school scorecard. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm 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 in the present. I'm living. Uh, I'm living joyfully. I'm living with God. I'm no longer. And I think, in my own experience, um, there's this toggle back and forth where I take the scorecard out and then I forget it and I take <laughs> it back out. That's just, I, I think that's just being a human being. Yeah. Uh, but I think a signpost is I'm no longer obsessing. I think that's mm -hmm. about my own growth and development. And am I, am I doing it the right way? Um, yeah, I, I mean, gentleness, uh, presence, curiosity. Uh, these are words that come to mind. I know I'm, I'm living in union with God when um, <laughs> I see someone that I just disagree with or they might say something in a certain way. And I'm genuine, genuinely curious. You know, I'm not, I'm not um, cursing them out in my mind. Uh, I'm not making judgments against them. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm genuinely loving towards them. That's when I know yeah. I'm in union with God. 
And I know that's when I'm not in union with God, when I'm not responding yeah. in these ways. So those are a few of the signs I think that come to mind yeah. uh, when it comes to union, union with God. Yeah. A life in union makes room for the imperfect, the imperfections, the, uh, absolutely the, uh, the one that you don't agree with. It's, it's okay that it's okay that it's, you don't, you don't have to fix it all. Because uh, that's what God has done for us. Bingo. And so if God has been so gracious to give me that gift of union and God knows all of my imperfections and all of my, I, I'm sure God has a lot of stuff that God disagrees with me about. <laughs> and God makes room for me. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe I, maybe there's the invitation. That's what I was getting to is I think the book, the deeply formed life is the invitation for us to open that door to receive God's love. Right, because mm-hmm. um, then once we once we gain that awareness and and we have received it, not in a way that the ego boasts, right, but total gift, total grace, um, yeah. then that is the place where you can then entrust it to the neighbor. You can then offer that to the next one. Yes. I, I, and help me if I'm missing the mark. Let me know. But I feel like that's the journey of of what we're getting at when we're talking about why formation is important. Yeah, I I think the word invitation, which is a word that we use at New Life all the time, invitation, invitation, you know, it's an invitation, not an imposition. We are are inviting people into something. Uh, Yeah, invitation, the two words that come to mind, someone brought this other word up to me uh, that uh, flows nicely with it. I think think it's invitation and intervention. Uh, the, the, The deeply formed life, I think is my attempt to perform an intervention for people that are formed in a particular way and saying there's a better way. There's a way that's more good and true and beautiful. Uh, There's a a different, there you go. There's a, (laughs) there is a different way uh, and our world is caught and stuck uh, repeating the same old stuff. I think the deeply formed life is an invitation uh, and an intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that these practices, I think it's key to, to hone in on this too. These practices are not what saves you. Mm, uh, that, right. That, that, that it's care. I learned very quickly as I entered the contemplative space. Uh Oh, the, the, the ego's just switching his Jersey a bit on me here. Like he can, <laughs> he can, he can camouflage so well, right? Well, I'm, I, this is how I do it. Um, yes. and yet, uh, uh, no, I, I think the invitation, what you're, what you're trying to get us to wake up to is it's called practice because it's a practice. Yes. And, and you give yes. yourself over to it. And it's not so much that something happens, but that it's you enter what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, think, I, think, I think that's a subtle yes. shift, but it's not, I prayed this way and then God did this. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're entering the flow. You're, yes. you're entering what's always yes. been happening. And then perhaps you can emerge from that space in that flow and a lighter yes. and brighter world is entrusted yeah. in the community. And you really, what I've experienced is you rarely see what's happening in the moment. It's only in retrospect that you're able to say something has happened, which I think is a gift from God. Uh, because if that were not the case, as Brennan Manning said, uh, we would live just worshiping our experiences of God and not worshiping God. 
if it was everything in the moment. Uh, and I want everything in the moment, that's for sure. But God, I think in God's grace, doesn't allow me to experience everything in the moment or feel everything mm -hmm. in the moment. But then I'm able to look back and go, wow, I'm not where I used to be. And wow, I have a, there's a heightened awareness of God's presence in my life. Uh, but it's only when I look back, not when I'm in, in it. That's mm -hmm. the history of, I think, spiritual growth in the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. Easy to connect the dots looking backwards. Mm. Um, so would you say that you have found by giving yourself to these practices um, that your life, your heart space, even at the cellular level, think things... Uh, things become more simple and quiet than, than they do chaotic and complicated. Is, is that something that you have found to be true? Yeah. I, I mean, part of the reason why I need to give myself to these practices regularly is because, you know, as the song goes prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. I mean, and in New York second, my life could be, <laughs> all over the place here. I have two kids. I have a 12-year-old and a seven-year-old. I mean, when, when a 12-year-old daughter, when, I guess when, when, when kids turn 12, I mean, there's a whole nother reality here. <laughs> uh, you know, when my, my home is, you know, when our Sabbath begins on Friday, it's not like, wow, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in new ways and fresh ways and peace. And I mean, sometimes that's when the, de the demons start manifesting. Uh, and so I need these practices because the gravitational pull and default of my own life is to be swept up in what's happening in the moment, in my city, uh, on social media. And so I need these practices like I need air. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, if I need, how, like I need water. If I don't give myself to it, I am not going to survive one bit. Yeah. And was it was it called New York Cityitis? Was that the phrase? I forget the I forget the exact phrase. If yeah, I have was, that wrong, it, it was New York Itis. New York Itis. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Gerdner, a guy named Gerdner. He in 1908, I believe, or 1912, he uh, talked about this disease that New Yorkers were impacted by that causes pre-internet world. Oh, listen, to that <laughs> over a hundred years ago. Uh, a disease called New Yorkitis, and we have sadly exported. Uh, yeah, it, it's that. in Waco too. We have that here. <laughs> it's made it here. <laughs> yes, high transmissibility rate for sure. Yeah, yeah, man. So, um, who would you offer uh, the deeply formed life? Uh, who, who would you invite to read read your work here? You know, I, what's been what's been so cool over the past year, Ashton is. Um, and this is, I, so much of this goes to, I think the people who helped me write this, mm. the friends who read, uh, many drafts before it went to print a, a wonderful editor who helped to hone into the particular voice that I wanted to make sure people heard the past year. Um, what surprised me the most is the various spaces that the book has found itself in. It's found itself in multiple colleges and seminaries. And it's found itself in the hands of lots of teenagers. Um, uh, and so we have people who are getting their doctorate who are reading this. And we have teenagers and they're 15 and 16 years old who are reading it as well. And that's been the thing that I've been most 
uh, humbled by, uh, that there is, I was very intentional trying to reach the everyday person. Um, And because I pastor such a diverse congregation, I had very specific people in mind when I was writing chapters. Uh, And so anyone, I think you're going to get some good theology, but it's not going to be so technical that uh, you're not going to be able to uh, absorb it. Uh, And I think you're going to get some really uh, accessible ways to begin to integrate some of this. So it sounds strange to say it this way, but I think it's for everyone. (laughs) Um, And that's something I'm really um, humbled about and excited about as well. Beautiful. Um, Well, I know I began our conversation by saying this, but um, I, I admire your path and your work in the world. Um, you're doing beautiful things, and uh, again, I think I think that spirit of humility that you lead and teach with um, is uh, so necessary and needed today. Mm. Um, so, thank you for your energy and your hands and your feet and your work in the world uh, and your words. Your typing, I guess, I should say that. Um, how can our listeners follow you and what you're doing? Uh, I'd say. Uh... Here four options. One is just uh, richvelotas.com where you'll hear, uh, you can find out more about um, uh, the deeply formed life and the forthcoming book that's coming out next summer. Um, so you can get information there um, on Instagram and on Twitter. It's just at Rich Velotis. And then and it's if, straight fire, by the way. <laughs> I, te- <laughs> I, I test out a lot of my thoughts for sermons and books uh on there so it's it's usually it's a laboratory for me listen Uh, if you're looking for a meal in one sentence this is your boy rich is your boy he he will give it to you at instagram well i'm happy to hear that and uh if they want to learn more about our church it's just newlife.nyc right on man um well thanks so much for joining us appreciate your generosity grace and peace if i'm ever in queens i'm gonna come look you up Absolutely. Thanks, Ashley.